Welcome back to Jack Howard Colour, the podcast. Today's guest is Mark Woolley. Starting out as a Saturday boy in the north of England in a pair of black jeans with a black shirt, he's gone on to launch Electric The Brand, which includes product lines, products, salons, working spaces. The list goes on. It's a wonderful conversation about how you can chase your dreams. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Welcome back to Jack Howard Colour, the podcast. Today's guest is entrepreneur, founder of Electric, Electric London, Electric Space, Electric Electricals, Electric Products. I mean, Mark, the list is massive. So I'm really pleased that you found time in your day to come on board and share your story. Thank you for inviting me on, Jack. I'm honoured. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I just, I always find it really interesting to have people on and talking about how they got to where they did. And I think a lot of people would love to hear your story. I mean, you've got a group of salons, you've got a great name, award-winning and all of that business, but you've gone on to have electrical equipment, you make your own products and you grow them in the UK, which I think is absolutely amazing. That's really fascinating. And you've opened this fantastic space that I've been working in when I'm in London called Electric Space, which is, guys, it's like a Soho house for hairdressers, right? I mean, it's it's really cool. It's this super building. But let's start off with at the very beginning of it all, Mark. How did how did you get into hairdressing and what was it like? You know, I, I'm always interested in everyone else's journey as well. And I think as 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 hairdressers, our life is about people, isn't it? You know, and and the thing I've learned. And it makes me shudder every time I say this because I've been doing it for 30 years. You know, I think, God, where, you know, where's that time gone? Yeah. And, you know, with doing all of those different things, and I think it's the same for all of us. You know, we start off learning how to be a hairdresser, then, we, then we're doing our own clients. Then, you know, some people go into session work, some people go into education, some people go into owning a, a salon. You know, it's there's all these different paths, but I always think, it comes back to that person in the chair, doesn't it? And it comes back to what you originally learned. And if if, if every hour you're not making somebody happy uh, and they're, they're thinking, oh, I must book back in with, with Mark, you know, or Jack, or, you know, that's, that's what makes the whole thing tick. Um, I got into it, I've got to be honest, by, by complete chance, as you can probably tell by my accent, for those listening in the UK, I uh, grew up in the north of England. and. Um, the big company then, you know, I started hairdressing in 1991, was uh, was Saks. And they had their own training school. They had kind of award-winning salons. I went, I went to get my hair cut there when I was about 15. And like you do, you take a picture in of who you want to look like at the time, you know. So yeah. I've, I've, I've gone in and I've got a picture of Ian Brown from the Stone Roses, you know, with a sort of, you know, the, the indie haircut yes. you know of the 90s you know so I've taken that in and being ginger and a tall skinny kid at this point I think the guy was probably thinking we're going to be challenged here to, to make him look like Ian Brown but um <laughs> that's the job right it's it a, is to rise well, to the challenge well this is the thing he cut this guy cut my hair and I remember thinking wow, it, it does look like what the picture I had in my mind. It was the first time, you know, and, and I was in this salon. There was probably 20 or 30 people working there. They were playing great music. There was a great atmosphere. 
And I just thought, I didn't realize hairdressing was like this. You know, it had a, had a, all these people who seemed very ambitious and, you know, one, one person's traveling off to Paris to do a photo shoot. And, you know, there's all these things happening. And during the next few months, I started going back, getting my hair cut there regularly. And as you do at that age, or in England anyway, you start sneaking into pubs and things, you know, when, you, when you're 15 or 16. And um, I kept running into these guys who worked at the salon. And eventually, uh, one of them said to me, look, if you've got a pair of black trousers and a black shirt, you know, because if you have, you can come and work with us tomorrow on a, on a Saturday. So I went in and that was it. I, within that, I don't know, probably before lunch, I knew what I wanted to do for, for my career. So it was a bit of a chance thing, but I feel very grateful. You started off as a Saturday boy, basically, then, right? Yeah, just probably like a long way have... around saying that. That was probably yeah. a long answer. No, it was much more interesting, actually. I like that. I mean, you don't really kind of get Saturday um, help anymore, do you? I mean, it seems to be much harder. People don't seem to be interested in it as much. Well, we what we try and do with electric salons, because I, I believe in that concept. I believe, you know, there are kids looking for inspiration and they're not sure where they're going to find it because, you know, I, I wasn't sure at all what I wanted to do. I think I knew I knew I was more creative than I was academic. Right. And I think I think I had an ambition to own my own business, but not, you know, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I think it was just in in the subconscious. I had I had it in my mind. That's that's what I'd like to do. And it ticked all the boxes. But I always think had I not met that guy mm. and he and and you know this haircut Everywhere I went, school teachers, family, friends, everybody said to me, oh, Mark, what a great haircut. You know, you look grown up. You look, you know, all the things you want to hear as your confidence is building when you're that age. I was hearing and I thought, actually, it's a powerful thing, a haircut. And and I think, had I not met him, I think, would I have found it? Who knows? Yes. Yes. A a piece that, a, a small thing that changed your career, your life. Was the pushback from the family with you wanting to be a hairdresser no not massive pushback i mean one of the one of the things i always credit my parents with they've always been very supportive and you know that there was there was some certain things i was into as a kid that they they just weren't into you know i was always into art music and and, and sports and like my dad was quite an academic guy so i think he was probably in through school a bit you know thinking oh i wasn't that academic you know and, and mm was interested in all these things he wasn't that interested in but he was pretty supportive of them I think you know hairdressing they didn't we didn't know anyone who, who would take that career route so I think they didn't know a lot about it but once once they met the guys at Saks and they could see that these guys were really training young people and 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 there were people th- these guys were, were big into franchising you know it's a sort of end of the 80s early part of the 90s and that was the big thing. And there was Sax and Tony and Guy. They were the only people doing it. So these young people were owning their own business. So it, it all seemed quite impressive, I thought. You know, it's, mm. it was exciting. That's brilliant, though, that, that you had all the support through there. There was no conflict going on about you going into it. Sometimes you often hear about parents who were saying, oh, God, get a real job, that kind of thing, to us at, at that age group. I think it's, it's imperative we have people in the industry you know saying this to one of the magazine editors here the other day we've got to we've got to take people who are doing these great things i mean look at what you've done with your career you know you one of the most sought after colorists in london when you were here 
And you've turned that into having a global education platform where you've amassed this huge following. Actually, you think those type of followings are normally only available in music or film or, you know, but actually to turn that into something from hairdressing, I think we've got to take these people and we've got to make them catalysts. Because if I, you know, if I'm totally honest, I think when I started, if you switched on morning TV, there were, there were hairdressers on there that I thought were quite inspirational. You know, people mm. who were like Trevor Sorby, Nicky Clark, Charles Worthington, all these guys, they had big followings. And, and their, I guess, measure of success was selling products in, in boots to consumers, you know. But actually, everybody knew who these people were. You know, there was there were six or seven of them that rotated around morning TV. And I guess yes. our our version of morning TV now is is social media platforms. Yeah, I think it's 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 imperative we have people that elevate the industry. Um, I think it's also it's also important that we have people talking about how successful they've been. And sometimes it's that British thing that you're not supposed to really talk about your successes. But I think, and that's what the Americans I think do so much better. But People need to see that, you know, you always hear, I think we always hear the negatives. We always hear, you know, somebody's cleaning, cleaning the salon, whatever. The disciplines that that made me successful were learning how to make sure I could run a column and clean and whatever. But I think that we need more people talking about how, how they've managed and got success in our industry. And it's not just a low-paid job. Yeah, because it has the ability. I always liken us to... Um... To chefs, because catering is a profession that's done on all the same levels as hairdressing. You know, you've got Gordon Ramsay is a chef, yeah. you know, earning millions of dollars for his annual efforts. And, you know, the person in Burger King is also a chef, you know, earning considerably less, you know, and, and hairdressing is the same. And I think, yeah, we've got to shout about the successes many people are having. And I think that, and, and I think we've all got to, unite and make it seen as a credible career absolutely it, it is all dependent on somebody's parents saying yes isn't it yeah it's dependent upon parents saying yes it's also dependent upon people within the industry mentoring and supporting people that are coming up which is what you do obviously in all that you do um which i think is really important and it's important for small salons to talk about their successes as well because there are plenty of small salons across the world that everyone makes a great living you know from it yeah so you don't need to be independent you don't need to go out on your own when you've learned nothing except just how to cut hair what you learn in a salon is you learn so many life skills and so many business skills you know oh a hundred percent you know and, and that that as i said at the beginning that person in the chair thinking wow that's the best color i've ever had and, and yeah. i really liked him yes you know that's the key to success. Yeah, I think that I think that we, as we celebrate, I think that times have definitely changed, and we celebrate salons, and we also celebrate independence. But the successful independents have worked through a salon and then been able to to move forward. It's not just yeah. about leaving school and going on your own. There's a lot to be learned in a salon before you go out into your own own way. I, I totally agree with you as well, Jack. But I think in this generation. It, we, we've had a few cultural changes in, uh, you know, people communicate in different ways. So yes. the industry 
has to adapt to that. Yeah. And like any industry, there's a transition period, you know, where it takes a few years for, for everyone to get up to speed, you know. And I remember, actually, I was having a conversation with someone in the US about, um, from a product company who were talking about their artists, you know, and they were saying, well, you know, they've got some artists that are very competent artists, but they haven't learned the communication skills they need mm. to operate in the 2020s. And then you've got a crowd of people over here who've got great communication skills, but their hairdressing, the art, artistry abilities are not at the same yeah. level as the hairdressing. So they were saying what they see in the next five years is an element of these people will elevate themselves and be good at both. Some will fall away and maybe retire or whatever. And these people here, the, the same will happen. The, you know, the people that can communicate you know, I, I always think, look, if you're passionate about something creative, you can become good at it. And, it, and it's the same with art, music, um, certainly hair. You know, I don't think you have to be born a hairdressing genius. I think it's all about your own passion and the people you're around, the people around you're learning you. off. Yeah. Yes. I have, a, a, you know, a list of people that have elevated me and lifted me up all the way through my career. And I think that it's really important to know that. But I like what you just said because I noticed, I've noticed that a lot of people at my age group, right? So I'm at, my, at the older spectrum, cannot navigate social media and to be able, but can educate beautifully, right? Can present to a room and all of that. But if you can't digitally speak to a larger group, then you become slightly redundant in it. So yeah. I think that the lessons for us are exactly what you said <laughs> the older, people that can that can teach need to learn new language and skills and younger people that can speak and present in a modern way still need to learn the old skills of presenting to a room yeah and i think there are there are certain life skills in every generation that are important through every generation mm -hmm. and then there are others that you know, they, they become, you know, I, I guess the media savviness has, has become important, hasn't it? You know, you, it, it was possible to have, I don't know, a top fashion designer, hairdresser, musician, you know, in, in the last two decades that maybe didn't need to communicate to the media. The, the PR would do that while they, whilst they got on with designing or writing songs or, or cutting mm. hair or whatever. Whereas I think today you do need to, whatever you're doing, you need to be able to communicate it. And that, that is a fact that, you know, if, if, if somebody, that isn't their natural way when they're, when they're coming through, that is something they need to learn. It's, it's, it's as important as, as the skills of whatever they're doing. It's a skill set. Yeah. You know, it's, it's another skill set. You've got to add a string to the bow. But let's go back, right? Because we could talk about this forever. Let's go back. So you Saturday boy at Saks, you obviously did you join the company full time? Yes, yeah. that's where you started your apprenticeship. Yeah, I joined. So I met them in about you know, here you leave school in the or you finish you know, mandatory school in the June, you know, when you do your, ex, your GCSE exams. So I did my exams, and you know, and I passed, I passed my exams. And my, my parents said to me, Right, you must, you must apply for a place at sixth form. So if, if this doesn't work out, you, you, you can go there. So I applied for a place, got the place. And I started work full time in, in June 1991. And uh, yeah, just 
again, having all those people around me in sacks at that time, the art team, you know, we had Gary Hooker, yeah, Nick Irwin, uh, we had Andrew Barton. You know, so Sax was a massive. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there were very like minded, ambitious people that, you know, uh, Dennis and Malcolm, the two founders of the company, were very hard working, very passionate, and the sort of, they rubbed that off on you, you know, and, and, um, I, I always feel a lot of gratitude for those guys. And we, my career sort of went in a strange direction because I started with them when I was 16. Um, I opened my first salon with them. So I was a franchisee. Um, when, did you do, when did you do that, Mark? How old were you when you did that? 21, you know, and they were good at, wow. they were good at bringing, they had, it wasn't just me. They had, they had plenty of people, you know, doing that, that young age. And I, I remember that just made you believe like anything was possible. I remember, I remember saying to Malcolm, one of the founders, when I was about, I think I was about 17 and he, you know, I'd, I'd been out to buy him to get him his lunch, you know, while he was doing his clients. And I came back and he yes. said, he said, so then he said, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, well, you know, rather than just saying, oh, I have my own salon one day. I said, oh, I'd like to be a, a franchisee, you know, and he said, oh, good. You know, that's very good. He said, uh, he said, anyway, he said, have you got any, have you got any money for that? And I said, uh, no, no, I don't, you know, and he said, right. Okay. So I scratched his head a little bit. He said, have your parents got any money? And I said, uh, no, no, they haven't really. No, and he went. All oh, right, he said. Well, he thought about it for a minute. <clears throat> he was obviously thinking, I don't want to ruin this kid's dreams here. So he said, Look, the first thing you need to do is, as soon as you're 18, you need to buy a house. And there was an area in the uh, their their head office was in a town called Darlington, which is between, say, between York and Newcastle. You know, I've been and, to Darlington. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you probably haven't been back, have you? <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, he said, look, there's an area of, of, of this town where everybody buys the first house. And, uh, and this would have been, I don't know, 92, 93. A house could be bought there for £30,000. And wow. he said to me, look, if you can raise, he said, you can get a 95% mortgage. So, you know, you can, with... 1500 quid you can with a deposit you can buy a house so that's what I did you know and I, I bought this house and it was a sort of terraced house I moved one of my best friends in as a lodger we were working in the salon during the day and then at night coming in and fitting kitchens and plastering walls and we got this thing renovated in about a year and the following year I moved down to London but I was you know, where obviously I couldn't afford to buy a house, but I, I I was on the property ladder that was rented out, and that and and I used that to to open my first salon with 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 Sachs. and it was strange because I think being at this end of the country, I then met a lot of people who inspired me in other directions. My my then girlfriend was studying fashion at Central St Martins. She's a girl called Sarah Shotton. She's the she's still today the global creative director for Agent Provocateur. And she was at St. Martin's. She was the same year as David Comer and the year below Stella McCartney. So I had, when I came down here, met Anthony Moscolo and got quite friendly with him. And he'd started showing me how to do photo shoots. So I'd gone from being salon hairdresser to, to sort of learning how to be reasonably relaxed on a photo shoot. And then some of my girlfriend's friends were saying, hey, can you come and do the hair on a, on a shoot? Which I hadn't really done before, but I started getting into that. 
Um, I then connect uh, connections, right? Connecting with yeah. people and things happen. And a year yeah. later, I was so then Joy Goodman came along, who isn't here now. She she was a big agent at the time in in London, and um, she said, "Oh, would you be interested in in you know being doing some jobs for me?" So the next thing, I had an agent. So without really wanting to, or, or that that was never really the plan. I was getting what we now know as session work, <laughs> yeah. you know, without really, that was never really my, my ambition. But what I realized was because I was in some of these situations, I was able to attract good quality clients to the salon. So I just, I, I grew both things. And, um, you know, I've always had, I've always been very interested in, in the creative work that we do. And I've always been very interested in, in how to, um, grow our our business and I think you know Saks was a beautiful journey and then eventually the two founders retired and it became a bit more of a franchise machine which there's nothing wrong with that but it, it, they were obviously interested in growing and they they grew to probably 120 salons which I think for two guys from the northeast is, a, is an amazing story it's an amazing but, story for anyone I think yeah but for me <clears throat> I, I was at that time, I, I, I wanted something that was a bit smaller and a bit more creatively focused. So, and again, you know, the people around you, you know, at, at, at that time when I started Electric, Anthony Muscolo was, was demerging the whole Tony and Guy thing. So him and one of his brothers were left owning TG, which was the product line, and the other two yeah. carried on with the Tony and Guy salons. So he was saying to me, look, just go your own way, fly your own ship, you know, it's, and, and, you know, I, I was quite inspired by what he was doing, not just creatively. He, he's, he's another guy that I believe is very good. He's a brilliant entrepreneur, you know, and you know, I just took that leap of faith and, and started electric. And we first, we, we owned a studio separately to, to my sax salons, myself and a photographer called Pete Webb. Um, and before it was called the Electric Studio, it was called Creative Wasp. That was our studio concept. So what I did was rebranded the Creative Wasp Studio, Electric Studio. So I had the name and the brand name. The brand, the, the word electric, the, where it came from, is it, is it was describing the atmosphere of, you know, what I thought was different about my salons to the other sax salons was we had this amazing atmosphere. I didn't know that. So that's really, yeah. that's really interesting. So we, I thought, right, I didn't want it. I didn't feel comfortable with it being called Mark Woolley for some reason. I think mm. one, I didn't, if I'm totally honest, I probably didn't feel I was a big enough name, you know, like Trevor Sorby or, you know, whoever else. But I think I was also very used to being part of a brand. So if we were doing a show or a seminar, I would be saying we and us and our and the team and, you know, so... And I, in my mind, I knew it needed to be a brand name rather than. I can remember Trevor actually telling me off at the time, saying, "You know, that's rubbish." He hated the name Electric. You know, he said you, you need to call it Mark Woolley. You know, take some ownership of it. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, in some for for one set of people, he's right, and another set of people, I probably feel more comfortable doing it under a brand. And there's no right or wrongs, I don't think. No, it's personal, isn't it? But I think that the era for those guys was very much your name on everything. Whereas what you had, you hope was speaking to was the fact that you wanted a we, us 
a collective, right? Even though you'd still be the face of it. I mean, when I think of electric, I think of you first and foremost, but by making it a brand name, there's an inclusivity in it that people can be part of without saying that they work for the name. Yeah. You know, they work with, and it's a different feeling that it evokes in different people. I, you know, I really liked, I liked the um, Tom Ford and Gucci story, you know, where Gucci was this older brand, you know, in, in the end of the 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And and he's credited for making it that, like, right up there with, at the time, Prada and whoever else was, was, was running the show. He brought a brand new perspective to it all. I remember when that all launched and it was just, it was phenomenal because it just, it, re, it didn't reinvent the wheel, but it reinvented how you felt about the brand, right? It was suddenly cool. But one, of, one of the things I always hope and is that wherever we're operating, so I don't know, if we're, if we're operating a salon in Oxford, which we do, then, you know, Scott, who's our guy, is the face of that salon you know the the electric brand in that city is represented by him and it's it's not a franchise you know it's 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 all under one company umbrella but it's i think people have got to have some ownership you know and and they've got to have a um you know an important part to play in that that's the thing i've learned over the years is uh, you know i made this the mistake every person makes who owns their own business at the beginning you try and do everything yourself and you end up doing a lot of things not very well you know whereas you know you could do a couple of things better you know (laughs) yes you empower people around you to do the things that you can't do right and i think that's cool do you know i was gonna say something and it's sort of slightly gone out my head but it was on the train of thought that you were talking about empowering the people within your company, right? And making them feel part of something. And if we go back to looking at people who are running a column, you know, that column is their business. And your business, you're very business focused throughout it. And you probably instilled that in your team to take ownership of your day, to take ownership of what's on offer and to really promote it. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, <clears throat> we have had, Lots of transition, I think, in the last decade because of all the things we mentioned, the ways, different ways people communicate. But I, I remember I was at, uh, I was at watching a shoot one day, and Tim Hartley was doing the haircuts. Somebody else was styling the hair, and he was he was doing the haircuts. And I watched him do about three really fantastic haircuts in about uh, he did all three in about thirty or forty minutes, and um, but they were amazing. You know, there were. You know, and at one point he's 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 pulling it, he's graduating the hair at forty-five degrees and cutting it like this whilst looking over here and talking to somebody else, you know. And and I remember thinking, wow, that's just like a very natural instinct to, you know, three amazing haircuts straight over to whichever session person was doing the hair at the time, you know, starting the hair. I remember thinking, wow, that is a and I, I was talking to him about it afterwards. He said, Oh yeah, you know, I from the 70s and the 80s, he said, I'll, I'll do my clients, I'll work quick, you know? And I thought, you know, there's some merit in that, you know, there's, there, there is, it's like the, you know, the, the, the stylist that will only do three clients in a day, you know, there's some 
merit in that as well, that somebody's such a perfectionist. But actually, you know, everybody has still got to earn a living from what they're doing, haven't they? Absolutely. If you're doing three clients a day, right, you should be charging a lot more than if you're doing exactly. a lot more exactly. per one. And, and I think that's what the industry is trying to figure out at the moment. It's like their worth, their value, the value to the surface, all that kind of thing. But so, so you've got a very successful um, bunch of salons. And I mean, they, they do really well. I've been to the one you want in, um, in Brighton, of course. You've got a studio there still, which, yeah. is, which is fabulous. But you have heated tools. Where did that come from? And then products. Where did that come well, from? Well, products, the heated tools are, are just an extension of the product line. So yeah. I would say they're a sort of sub-brand. The main, the main thing is the wet line products. And again, you know, probably like how I got into hairdressing, how I went from a schoolboy to a Saturday boy. And how, when I moved down to London, I became a session hairdresser without really realizing that's what I'd done. Um, but products were very similar. You know, I, I met a guy who, uh, I, you know, I was always doing quite a lot of work for L'Oreal. I've worked with L'Oreal my whole career. Um, I met a guy um, who was a British guy living in France at the time who was a formulating chemist. And he... Ended up move, you know, got to know him out 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 there, and we spent a lot of time talking about products and things. A couple of years later, he moved back to the UK uh, and and went to work for Estee Lauder, and I kind of stayed in touch with this guy and would meet up every now and again. And um, we were talking about products being lightweight, you know, kind of hair in Northern Europe is 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 fine, you know. So uh, how could we have a weightless product? And he was telling me about skincare, you know, and a lot of it being a perception. So if you, you know, if you rub a face serum on and it totally disappears, the residue, your perception is it's soaked into the skin. But the reality is they've got an ingredient that evaporates the residue. So you you go away feeling the quality mm. that your face doesn't feel oily still, you know. So we got talking about that technology and we, you know. We, we ended up making a smoothing cream together that really started as a conversation in the pub. And, and eventually we had it in a bottle, I don't know, maybe a year later. And he took me to a factory down in Kent where we filled about 300 of these bottles. And I remember hearing the story of Coca-Cola where they, they were making in the 1800s in Atlanta, Georgia, making the Coca, it was a dentist making the Coca-Cola. And, and, and apparently, there might have been some cocaine in this Coca-Cola, yeah. you know? So uh, apparently there was a big queue. I mean, you think we've had a couple of hundred years for this to be really good folklore, and this story probably got better over the years, but a queue of people round about four blocks in Atlanta buying this sticky black liquid that tasted nice that became Coca-Cola. And I just thought, well, I wonder if I had a product that, you know, was unique, so it evaporated, it was great for fine hair. And I wonder if the only place you could buy it was my salon. I, I clearly didn't put cocaine in it, but I, I, um, I wondered if <laughs> I wondered if the only place you could buy it was electric on Marleybone High Street. Um, could would would it take off? So we tried that, and it, that that was obviously a tall order. But um, we then came up with a prep spray. I'd always used the Bumble and Bumble prep spray, and. 
I thought, well, I wonder if we could have a prep spray that did what that one does, but actually evaporates. It's good with fine hair. And we managed to do that few, you know, that didn't take so long, but you know, that's still our best selling product today. And then between us, we made a color shampoo, a shampoo that would lock uh, permanent color molecules into, into the hair. So it was, it was years before toners were as fashionable as they are now. So it was all about yeah. locking a permanent color molecule in. Yes. And with four products, I had a client who was very high up in Harvey Nichols, Daniela Rinaldi. And she said to me, hey, why don't you launch with us and we'll, you know, um, we'll, we'll do that. So with four products in 2010, we launched with Harvey Nichols and they launched two brands. They launched Electric and a brand called Real Hair with Josh Wood and John Vial mm. and all those guys. So, yeah, we got going at the same time in, in, in products and... What we realized is we were doing all these education events for other hairdressers and we were doing electric sessions, which I think you've been to, you know, in, in, in Brighton. So someone started saying, oh, well, can we can we carry these products? So we, we again, went down the professional route in a very small way um, where Josh and his, his gang went down the consumer route. Yeah, I sometimes think <clears throat> maybe I should have followed Josh. <laughs> but but um you know, it, 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 it's, that has been a brilliant journey. But again, it was by chance. You know, I think, wow, if I hadn't met Richard, you know, if I hadn't have, um, you know, that one product. And then, you know, so we, we launched with Harvey Nichols, but then ended up in salons. Um, it was, Harvey Nichols is a really amazing one to launch in because, I mean, first of all, they are always groundbreaking with what the products that they put in. So they, they definitely... Um, change perceptions and also it's a really tough one to get into so i mean that's bloody brilliant yeah it was a bit of a chance thing i was i always think <clears throat> it's a bit like those fairground games where you have to throw a ball into a bottle or something if you if you if you did it with your eyes shut it'd probably go in but if you stood and tried to get it in you'd never get it in you know and i think right. if we'd have if we'd have set out with the goal of instructing our pr to get us into harvey nichols and went out of our way to it probably would have took ages where that it did all happen by chance, I think. And and mm. I've always felt when those opportunities present themselves, you just got to run with it. That's what I was trying to teach our people, you know, as we're, as we're bringing them through electric. Um, but it is about opportunities, isn't it? It's about put, being open to opportunities, being open to meeting people. It's not about hassling people. It's about building relationships that then can lead on to other things. And yeah. you never and you never know what they lead on to, which is yeah. what's so, so much fun. And I think, yeah, and for all of us, I, like I say, I love watching other people's journey. I mean, I've known mm. you for quite a lot of years now, and I've seen your success, you know, go up and up and up. And I think, you know, you've got to be that sort of person who is positive to make that success happen. Because you, you know, yeah. you meet another set of people who, you know, are complaining that it hasn't happened, and you think, well, you know, I wonder why. Um, but it, I think you've got to be positive and you've, you, you've got to put your best foot forward. I really think in our industry, good things can happen. Yes, I do. I think amazing things can happen in our industry. But you have to be open from here and you have to be, you know, you have to be at the right place in, with yourself. And you know what? You know what else you have to be? And here's the thing, because obviously I, I, I can imagine, obviously, I know you've got a big following in the UK. You've got a really big following in America as well. 
this is the thing I always teach my American friends. This is what you've got to be. You've got to be in the pub after work. <laughs> That's where all, you know, so, so is there any, any, any advice you've got for us? I was like, yeah, you guys don't go to the pub enough after work because that is where it all happens. Well, in my American audience, nobody goes to the pub after work, right? They go, they go and do, go for a run, or they, you know, whatever. Whereas in England, it's very much pub culture. I agree. When with I'm you. in, when I, when I'm in LA, it's all green juice and morning runs, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, I still do the morning runs in London, but it, it, the, it, it, the green juice is replaced with Guinness normally. <laughs> I. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's a it's a different thing, but you've managed to navigate those two well, which is brilliant. Um, growing your own products, so growing your own ingredients, I think I love the fact that that conversation is very much about carbon footprint. It's very much about a British product being made in Britain. You know, the, all all the materials and stuff. I. I'm a great believer in buying stuff, you know, if I can, that's local, you know, to where yeah. I am rather than shipping it. And I've, I've felt about that for a long time. Um, and we're seeing repercussions of global economy problems and all those things. How did you, why did you come up with the idea of growing your products yourself? You've got this huge farm, right? Where you grow it all. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not it's that like, huge. It's, it's, um, well, it'd be huge you know, to me. It's, but it, you're right. We, we do, um, if I go back to the beginning of the product story. Yeah. Okay. So the main difference, and I didn't know this at the time. Again, it wasn't a planned exercise. It came out of naivety. But because I met and became friendly with a chemist who had plants where he manufactured products and you know he said look you need to buy your components off these people and you know we, so it, and then you need somebody approving everything you know he kind of helped me put that concept together and it was only when we'd been doing it about a year somebody else said I think it was actually somebody from Harvey Nichols said wow you know you are manufacturing your own products and I said well yeah but so are hundreds of other people should no no they're not you know no most people all the white labeling. Well, it's not. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, it's that's not. I'm not saying, oh, that's bad, and what we do is good. It's just. I'm not saying that either. It was most most companies are a brand, you know, and they've got their brand values, and they're good at marketing those brand values, and then they'll normally go to a third party to fill the products, you know, um, and they'll choose things like you know, if, if they want to use sustainable packaging and they've got this amazing fragrance that they want, and you know, they'll put it together that way. Whereas from the beginning, and, I, and it was only, I didn't know that, I didn't know that's how you made products. So, so we, we were saying, okay, Richard would phone me up and say, you need um, a load of hydrolyzed um, wheat proteins. You need this much jojoba oil, this much, you know. So I was ordering all these ingredients. And he'd give me three or four different wholesalers for raw materials, all all in the UK. And eventually, someone said, "Well, do you want the? Would you do you want the rose oil from the UK, or do you mind if it's we don't if if we're not going to state where it's from?" And in my mind, I had this like love for British things, you know. And I said, "Oh no, I you know we'll take the 
the rose oil from the UK, please. You know, so before we knew it, we were sourcing our own ingredients and we, we had this alignment of everything had to be grown in the UK. Um, so it, and it was only when someone pointed it out a year later, they said, oh, you know, you, you, you're actually manufacturing this product yourself. And that's what we still do today. What I would say today is, I don't know, at least 80% of my job is about those products. And a lot of the creativity goes into it. And I, you know, I think it, it's probably, I mean, the COVID disruptions affected all of us worldwide, but it's, I really felt at the end of 2019, well, I think probably February, March 2020, I got back to England and I thought, right, we really feel like we're going there now. You know, it was, I felt like it, it, it was in about 500 salons in around the US and Canada. And I thought, right, that's a significant enough step for us to grow to the next level. I believe we, we're still in the majority of those salons, but obviously some people have, you know, they've, like us as well, you know, the spend becomes a bit less. So it's it has hit the product company um, in, in the last two years, but we're on our way back now. And I think a lot of the plans I had in 2020 to develop it further yeah. will start to happen, I think, in the second half of this year. That's the plan. Yeah, I mean, we've all been impacted by COVID. Everyone's been impacted by it, whether there's been positives or negatives. I mean, we you know, we can't dispute that. But that leads really nicely into Electric Space London, yeah. which is which is a beautiful building anyway, and um, and of course the industry. And there you are in it, in part of the change with this fantastic fantastic space. Where did that all come up? Yeah, we you know I, I think probably like all of us, we had a lot of time of not traveling and, you know, and, and mm. doing the things you'd normally do to have a think about it. And I, I, well, the first few weeks I thought to myself, wow, as a hairdresser, I'd never had more than a, this is sounds a bit sad. I'd never had more than a two week holiday before, you know, from 16, I'd never been off for longer than two weeks. So once I was in week three or week four and the weather in the UK was amazing, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't even come into London at all. I was down in Brighton swimming in the sea every day. And I, I just started thinking about the whole thing. And I thought, you know, I was very happy with where we'd got the products to. You know, it really felt like it had taken off in the States, taken off in Canada, uh, really doing well in the UK. You know, it seemed like we had all the right people using it. And, and if I was totally honest, I thought to myself, you know, salons are changing. And we are at, we are at the tail end of it. Whereas if you'd have asked me about electric salons 10 years before, I would have told you, well, look, we're as, I believe we're as good as anybody, you know, and and and, yeah. and 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 I'm really excited about where we are as a salon. Ten years on, I thought, you know what, there are there are lots of salons in London that I would, you know, almost rate above us and say, you know, we've 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 focused on the products a lot. So then I started thinking, well, you know, we've we've had this idea of we've owned a studio for many years before we even owned a salon. So I thought, what if you could put those in the same building? And, you know, we've had a long association with Soho House as well. You know, I've been a member for a long time. I've, we've done a lot of events there. We've, and I've watched that business grow. And I thought, I wonder if all the top hairdressers now seem to be their own entity. You know, yes. if, at the time in London, if I think, right, well, you've got, you know, Jack Howard <coughs> at, 
Paul Edmonds, he's, he's his own entity. You've got Stephen Nurse, Daniel Galvin, he's his own entity. You've got, you know, and then you've got, you know, the Guido, the global ambassador for Redkin at the time, he's his own entity. So there was, I think there was a growth of people running their own businesses um, within the industry. So well, and you know, what's interesting about that was that, for me anyway, with Jack Howard at Paul Edmonds, was that none of the other, that I wanted that kind of collaboration, right? So I wanted to be able to come and do so many different things, but no other salon. They wanted my press and my PR, but they didn't want the apps piece. They wanted it all under their umbrella. And Times have, and Paul and Yasha really just got that concept. It's very much, it's quite American, I think, in some ways. And it's been really fascinating to watch other people develop their individual brands. And of course, social is what's helped it as well, isn't it? Massively. But th- that is where the world is at. And again, I'll be yes. totally honest with you. If, I don't know, in year five in electric, if someone had said to me, you know, and I was like that, blinkers on, it was all about just the electric salon. If anyone had said to me 10 years ago, hey, what I'd like to be is uh, Jack Howard at Electric. I'd have gone, I think you'll find you'll be electric. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Which is wrong. But but it was right then. Yeah, well, it was the done thing then. I think think what we find today is there are superstars out there that are, they've got global followings. They are doing their own thing. You know, if I was doing it all again today, would I go down the salon ownership route? Probably not, you know, because mm. that used to be how you had to build a brand, but you don't. Know. <clears throat> you've just got to be, you've got to be great at what you do. You've got to be engaging. You've got to understand how to communicate your message around the world. And I, I always laugh, you know, because we, we've, I've had a few people through Electric um, over the years where the first time and he's a great friend of mine and you know him as well kai wilson you know we we, great ball of energy you know we had him very similar to myself he grew up in the north of england wanted to come to london and he had been on a few of our courses i think through l'oreal when he came to london he 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 came to work for electric and he he was like a ball of energy wanted to do everything and wanted to when I look back on it, I was quite, I was all about the brand and it had to be about the brand. So I'd get Kai on the phone saying, hey, uh, it'd, it'd be like 11 o'clock at night on a Thursday. And he'd say, I won't be in tomorrow because I've had the opportunity to go and assist Sam McKnight in Paris. So I'm, I'm going to go on the four o'clock Eurostar. Um, and yeah, I just won't be in tomorrow. And I'd be like, hey, mate, you're fully booked tomorrow. What do you mean you're not going to be, you know? Yeah, but I've got this opportunity, you know, and he he was a ball of energy. He really wanted to get out there and do everything. And inevitably, I was in traditional salon owner mode at that point. And a few times I mm. said to him, you're not going. You've got to come in and do, you know. And when I look back, I think, you know, I feel bad about it. Because it, what, what ended up there, he... He, he obviously, I don't know, did a year, a year and a half with us. And then he went to work for Percy Reed, had a year, year and a half with them. And ultimately did his own thing. And he's harnessed that energy into creating a successful brand in the social. Yeah. But that was the first time I thought, wow, I'm 10 years older than him. He was obviously thinking in a slightly different way to me. So I, and I, you know, I needed to adapt and come into that world. And I think today everybody is trying to build their own thing. So I just thought, well, look, let's, 
what's the point in trying to hold people back? Let's we're 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 positive people. We don't hold anyone back. Let's get behind them, and mm. let's just create a Soho house where people are members, so they can do their own thing. They can fly and they they can do really well, and they can have their own brands and. You know, but if we've got all those people here, but like, I mean, you, you, you're obviously, you've hosted a few of your courses here. That blows me away. That is like owning a recording studio and the Beatles coming in to record in your, in your place or whatever. Or So I, I, the things I'm excited about now is when, you know, someone like you, and there was one night we were stood at the bar, you and me, and there was me, you, Adam Reed, yes. Neil Moody, um sally hughes you know and you you know and i i actually whipped my phone out my pocket gave it to whoever was behind the bar and i said oh, take a picture now and I, it was almost a pinch myself moment so so these people have been people i've really admired in hairdressing you know at the bar you've got jack howard adam reed neil moody sally hughes and me I'm stood having a coffee and i thought this is this is this is where it's at i was drinking a sparkling water by the way as well I was drinking at the bar I know you were but I know you were but I you see I think that collaboration is if you're an independent like me collaboration is super important because you spoke to it a little bit early you can't do it all yourself right so you can do what you excel in I've never wanted to own a salon particularly it's not really it's the the managing people that I find it would just kill me soul-destroying Oh, um, stressful. You'd very stressful. Think, you'd never think I was only 24, would you? You know? Exactly. exactly. Well, I'd certainly show my age, right? I'd probably be done for GBH or something. Because I'd just be like, <laughs> just do it! Um, <laughs> which you can't do. A good manager doesn't do that. A good manager brings out the best in people. So I, for me, it's always been looking for routes to explore, or routes to explore with people where it's beneficial for both. And so... It was really lovely when you were really happy to work with me and I had my needs and my wants and desires and that you were able to match that and the, the space felt that it fitted in how I perceived my brand. You know, it wasn't overly marketed. It was it felt luxe to me. And then there were people in there that were working, doing their clients. There's a cinema in there that I could have used to do my showreel or PDF if I'd wanted to do it that way or Maybe I want to do a press night later in the year and I can book that. I mean, it's all there. And I ran out of product and I was able to nip downstairs and get some product because you've got a product shop. It's amazing. Amazing. Very, very well thought out. We're learning as we go, but I, I'm always, I think, look, we're in a brilliant industry that evolves and, you know, and it and it grows. And I think there are, de what I've learned over the years is, is there are those touch points, like I said there with Kai, where sometimes you think, okay, it's changing and we've got to we've got to change with it and we've got to be excited by by what's happening you know and I'm, I'm all for that and I think electric space well I want to grow it I want to open one of these in the states um I'm gonna have it where the same member can you know if you're a member in London you can use the other one and you know we, we're opening one in Oxford that's happening at the moment um and and people will be able to use our farm as well because that's the other thing we we just touched on Falmer Court, you know, down there we've got, all right, we're growing some ingredients, but, you know, we're going to have a massive film studio and an event space that will hold 700 plus people. 
Uh, we've got a freshwater swimming pond with our own water source that later this year we'll, we'll start using in the wetline parts of the products as well. So it's it's getting exciting, and I think I, I tell you, I was very inspired by that. That left out was Michael Gordon, Bumble and Bumble, you know, and he he never wanted to be Michael Gordon, the hairdresser, you know, but I think he created a hell of a thing, you know, where he really championed great hairdressers and he gave them a platform with the house of bumble in new york and made products and you know I, I i think i've taken bits you know a lot of inspiration from him i thought he was amazing a lot of inspiration from anthony muscolo i thought he created a worldwide army of, of hairdressers that wanted to be part of their community and the guy i never met actually that i wish i had was uh, the horse you know the evader guy um oh yes yeah, I've never met him, but you know, I'm good friends with Antoinette. And, you know, obviously she she's the global president, you know, and and I just I think that was a brand that when it when that was conceived, it was really groundbreaking and you know, they built a huge, huge global following as well. And yeah, I just want to try and take a piece of that and, and run with it all, all of it. I just I find it just so fascinating to listen to your story from a Saturday boy. <laughs> up north, right? Who's got to get himself a pair of black trousers and a black shirt to be to be part of the Saturday team? To this empire that you've built, that's still incredibly fresh and modern, and that you continually want to grow it. I love the fact that you haven't stopped. That you have seen that you need to keep moving forward, to keep relevant, and to keep fresh in the industry, and that that you've been able to run a, a members club and a salon group and run them together. And I think that is a really modern story. And I think they both work really well. It's just been a, such a pleasure to talk to you today, Mark. Thank you so much well, for coming you. on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, <clears throat> huge congratulations on what you're doing, both sides of the Atlantic. You know, it's 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 brilliant. And I, look, I'm so grateful you choose to use electric space as your hub when you're here. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Well, I'm I'm grateful for the space, and you know me well enough to know that if I didn't like it, I wouldn't use it. So it's it's like, but I love it. It's beautiful, really beautiful, and I love the coffees and the food being delivered and all of that. All those little touches. I'll buy you a sparkling water when you get over it. Oh, brilliant! Thank you so much. <laughs> obviously, that's all you drink, you know. That's all I drink: sparkling water and coffee. Yeah, there you go. Mark Woolley, thank you so much indeed for coming on today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Jack. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C O L O R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C O L O R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C O L O R.com. <laughs>